This is a bonus track related to Short Films Teachers Love Season 2, Episode 4, which was a conversation with Annie Whitlock. Annie is a funeral celebrant, spiritual care worker at various oncology hospitals, and someone they call a death doula. This bonus is really the parts of our conversation that had less to do with films and teaching and more to do with kind of everything else. I pick it up from my own personal story. A friend of mine, um, in fact, I just caught up with this morning, his brother is in the last stages of, oh, it's a, it's a degenerative condition that's basically a, a cancer eating away at his bones and all sorts of things and, and you know he's been to hospices he's broken bones they had a pin but the pin had to be removed because it was getting infected he's now bound to a wheelchair and they basically decided to suspend all treatment and just and take him home so they're in that last sort of phase of just okay it's just pain relief now and and you just you know there's it's hard for kind of everyone because no one quite knows what to say Part of you is thinking, I wish it could be over for their sake, but that's a really awful thing to be thinking. And, you know, there's all this kind of mixed emotion tied up in, in that process and how long it will take and, and what it, what we can all do around that space. So I guess that's what you're assisting in, isn't it? And because we're not used to death, so uh, before the uh, Second World War, it was uh, normal for someone to die at home. After the Second World War, it became quite uh, commonplace for people then to die in hospitals. Mm. So people weren't used to uh, seeing a dead body or knowing that you know the neighbour had died or someone had died in your own family. It was uh, began to be quite removed. And also, as human beings, we have a tendency where we... We think we have to help, we have to do things, we have to repair. And maybe in your friend's situation, they're not sure what to say because they don't know how to repair or make something better. Okay, to accept that you can't make something better, but that's still that beloved person, that's your friend, that's family. They can talk about so many things that doesn't have to be about the mammoth in the room, you know. (laughs) We then talked about Annie's first recommended film, which got us onto the topic of mindfulness. So mindfulness or meditation is about being present with what's happening now. So I let people know it's not about avoiding things. It's not about reaching a, a, a state of mind where there's nothing going on. The thoughts will always be there because it's the nature of the mind to think. So what we use as a tool is the breath. And so I take them through the simple process of breathing. Now we're all breathing, so I always say that because you're sitting here looking at me, so I know that you're breathing. So I know that you can do that. But then what we do is bring attention. It's called body scan. And so we bring attention to where you're actually at right now physically. A lot of times when people are feeling a bit um, anxious, they'll get a tight abdomen. So I always say, soften the belly. As soon as you soften the belly, then I explain what happens physiologically. So the lungs go from here all the way down here. Once the tummy is tight, all you're going to do is clavicle breathing. So what you're doing is you're restricting the oxygen coming in not only to the body, because the body needs, the, the blood needs to be oxygenated, but 
the brain. So the brain is maybe 7% of the body mass, but it uses about 20% of the oxygen. So once we soften the belly, we allow the oxygen to go through to the full capacity of the lungs. Uh, as I said, I teach in an oncology. I teach <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in an oncology hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and some people have had you know, part of their lung removed. And so it's important that I let them know whatever the capacity that is left, we want to use all of that capacity. So if you've only got 80% or 70%, we want to use that 70%. So, And for them to, when they say to themselves, for them to say to themselves, so breathing in and breathing out, and I highlight there's a space between the inhalation, exhalation, and the exhalation, and the inhalation, and that all that is normal. And the mind is going to be thinking and to don't try and stop it. Because if I say to everyone in the room, whatever you do, don't think of a banana, everyone's going to think of a banana. (laughs) I did a death meditation for several people at a special uh, five-day advanced workshop. And... uh, I really don't know their uh, alliances, their faith traditions or their spirituality. And uh, and they all wanted to participate. And actually it was a beautiful weather and we were outside and they and I said that there is one person who is the uh, the carer and then one person who is the dying person everyone wanted to be the dying person <laughs> no one wanted to be the carer that was fine and so they lay under the trees and I I took them through it so I just uh, explained that I've actually I, I've got it here it's quite a few Quite a few pages, so I won't read it all. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you, what it, what is it like? What is okay. it? Give me a give me a taste. So, so I I just uh, okay. Human life is limited, and everyone knows that they will die someday, and we may feel fear or anxiety about death. After all, it is the unknown, and everything that is unknown can bring fear. So, talking about or preparing for death is not always acceptable and I just say I ex- I really respect them for coming to this meditation and uh, the most important thing is to be gentle with ourselves and to be kind with ourselves. Um, first it's a, an act of love so I know that some people have difficulty with the word love so then I say it's, a, it's an act of kindness or gentleness or patience and what it is, I take them through their, the, the person who is lying on the ground. They can be in any, they can be sitting in a chair or whatever. I take them through just a very simple breathing exercise. And then I let them know, you're lying here and you can hear noises. You can hear people mentioning your name. You can hear them talking about you. And sometimes you can hear people crying. You can feel sadness in the room. Then I take them through the the different stages. So usually the first uh, 
I've gone and forgotten. Sense to go, <laughs> first sense to go, is the earth. So the earth element is called. Uh, this is used in Buddhism, but uh, it's also a lot of nurses, palliative care nurses can really relate to this. So the earth element is the one that, you know, our body starts to feel quite heavy. And we just feel supported by the bed. And we don't have any energy to get up or even to, to lift our head. Then the next element to go can uh, usually be the uh, water or the fire. So which one of those two is goes next? That means that if it's the fire element, uh, we'll start to get very thirsty and the mucous membranes in our body start to dry up. We may feel a little bit uh, agitated or uncomfortable. Then the next element is the water element. Uh, so we'll start to feel, uh, also the, the dryness will start to feel cold. And then the last element is the wind element and obviously that's the the breath it's it's much longer than what i've just <laughs> said here but they loved it and they wanted it again every day after that so and and then some people said okay now i understand about the carer so not everyone wanted to be the dying person so some wanted to be the carer as well so you picked up on another theme, which it keeps coming through, and and that's this idea of spirituality. And um, you know, you mentioned your your Buddhist um, faith there. Tell me, let, let's sort of move on to this next film, which is um, Zadik, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting because it's called a spiritual short, and so I'm fascinated by this because, as I say, no matter what way you come at it, I think we all we all have a, a belief system, whether you're an atheist who has no belief in God at all or, you know, agnostic right through Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. Everyone, I think, could watch that little spiritual short and relate something of their own faith in that. Yes. So tell me what it is for you, why, like why you chose that one and, and how you think about that particular story. I saw this great big, look like a monster, and he was holding, he, I'll say he, I mm. didn't know it had a sex. Mm -hmm. It was uh, holding the, the man in, in its arms and it was purring, mm. this huge thing on this boat. And it was going purr, purr. And the man was just leaning into it. And so what I could see was that this is what we do with our sadness, our, our grief, our depression. It becomes a, a familiar ally. We think it's an ally. And, we, and as that man was leaning into this great big monster, the, he received some form of comfort. You could see that because he just gave himself into it, as sometimes we do with grief with sadness then there in his hand the man's hand he held there was a, a seed and this seed took off so i to me that represents that there was some sort of spark within him and he followed it and then this seed lit up this tree on this little island, desert island out in the middle of nowhere. 
And the tree began to take shape and it became beautiful and light was coming from it. And he was drawn to it. But the big monster, which I will call depression or sadness, um, quickly was, 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 very, was challenged, was threatened. And, and it rushed towards the tree and it stood in front of the tree and it roared, and as it roared, it opened up its mouth, and all the man could see was there was a nothingness, there was an unknown in there, which was meant to to frighten him off. Don't go in there, you know, you don't, nothing's familiar, which I think is so true, that when we need to do something different that we've never done before in our lives, it can be really frightening, very confronting because we've had no past experience. So sometimes it's just easier to stay with what we know, the, the, the sadness and the grief. But he went back to the boat and then he summoned up this courage, great courage, because it does take great courage to go towards the unknown. And he shot through the mouth of this monster and oh and he 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 saw this beautiful glorious tree and the uh (laughs) all the feeling the music and then and then he goes he floats floats up to to the sky which is we 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 use the sky as a as a metaphor as something that is uh, far beyond uh, the mundane and but it doesn't last and after that moment is finished, he then goes back to that big monster in the boat. And the monster is happy. And the mon- you can see the changing of, of the monster's expression. And he says, come here, come here. And the man goes there again and leans into his sadness. And I believe that we all have been through that so many times. There's a, a wonderful poem by, I think it's, her name is Portia Nelson, The Black Hole. Would you like to hear it? Mm. <laughs> okay. Autobiography in five short chapters. And this is, oh, I got the name right, it was Portia Nelson. Oh, very good. <laughs> I walk down the street, there is a deep hole in the sidewalk and I fall in, I am lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault, it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street and there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. Uh, I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk and I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. But my eyes are open and I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. And I, and I can see how both of those, the, the poem and the and that short film, are a great way to think about this, this 
the sadness of dying and the the moving through into the unknown. I guess that's yes. what you're what you're saying. Yeah. Do you think mindfulness is a kind of non-religious praying, for want of a better word? Or I not too sure now. Doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with religion or Buddhism mm. because, I mean, like Christianity, um, uh, uh, Sufis uh, have been doing it for, for so long and the great mystics, of which we don't hear, especially the great Christian mystics, we don't hear a lot about those. Um, is it a form of praying? Well, I'd like to ask you, what's praying? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. It's 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 taking time to be aware of the presence of God and the and the kingdom of God in, you know, in all sorts of different places and and okay. communicating with that that presence. That's that's how I would. Well, see then, it. yes, I suppose it is. Being present, being aware of whatever it is at that moment, be it the small things, all the many small things. Not always about the great things, the, the things that are, you know, beyond my reach, but the, the uh, like just this piece of paper. This piece of paper came about through uh, sunlight and water and earth and creatures. That's a miracle in itself. So if that's a form of praying, and praying to me seems to be a form of also gratefulness and so when I pray there in a perfect world there would be gratefulness and forgiveness acceptance so yes it can be. Yes, it can be. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a, it wasn't meant to be a tricky question. But just, I'm just thinking aloud. That's great. Um, is there anything else that you had written down or wanted to say? Uh, death of animals. Yes. Okay. Yes. That uh, some people actually feel that the death of their animal is, uh, is trivialised compared to the death of a human being. Mm. And a person may have had this animal or all an animal's life could be 16, 15, 10 years, three years, it doesn't matter. But usually that creature, be it a cat or a dog or a rabbit or whatever, has become very close with that person. And I think there's an element of intensity when there's no verbal language. It's like the lost thing. That when we are with our our animals, because we will we'll talk to them and things like that, but there's a communication that is so deep that touches us. And I think that I would like us to be a bit more compassionate towards someone when we know that they one of their their animals has died. And I also think that it's quite uh, significant. Days, many, many years ago, people would wear a black armband when someone had died when, so that we would know that that person is in mourning. And then we would be able to understand their behaviour, perhaps. I think that we need that. 
there used to be sometimes uh, things called um, uh, mourning badges, where uh, if you saw someone wearing that, then you know that they had, you know, someone had died that was close to them. And we would be able to show compassion. But there's nothing like that. People are walking around and we don't know of their sorrow or their misery. And just a few kind words could actually have a big impact. Um, I went to a compassionate friends meeting and compassionate friends is about parents whose children have died. And they said one of the, the very common things that they were saying, it was sort of a workshop, was that people don't know what to say. And some people think that by saying things out of their ignorance, saying things like, or it'll get better. Or you've got, luckily you've got two other children. Or, or luckily you're young enough you can have another child. It's just incredible. And so we need to be trained into, into what, how, to, how to speak to someone. It's a perfect opportunity for, uh, for young people and teachers what would you what would you want to hear in this situation not to be told what to say but what would you want to hear mm-hmm. and and just thinking about what you're saying about animals you know I'm thinking how it's often why we have deep relationships with people who are quieter because you have to work harder at trying to understand where they're coming from or what they're thinking <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah and there's that yeah. thing where sometimes when we haven't got the words mm. and it's it's just that connection. Mm-hmm. It can be on a different level. Mm-hmm. Words can make so many problems for ourselves and for, mm-hmm. for others. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a tail that wags or mm-hmm. a lick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic that ta- dogs have tails? I think I it's so good. You know that they're happy or, you know, know that they can be. Them. Yeah. We need, I was thinking about the black armband thing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of little signs that we need. Well, that's all the extras. I hope you get a chance to listen to the main part of the show, Short Films Teachers Love. Do a search on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.